Amazing Grace, God's Amazing Grace. We'll take a look at that today on this edition of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse out of Titus chapter 2. Join us. Greetings and welcome once again to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We're in Titus chapter 2, looking at verses 11 through 15 today, an introduction into our series called God's Amazing Grace. We'll take a look at world religions and Christianity and how they differ and why, and God as our Savior. A couple of side verses we'll visit along the way out of John chapter 3, Isaiah 43, 1 Timothy 2, and Micah 7. A lot to cover, so let's get right to it, shall we? Once again, from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, with Graceful Truth, our teacher and pastor now, Pastor Steve Converse. You can turn over in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. We're going to continue our study through the book of Titus. And we'll be looking at verses 11 to 15. You can look at that as we introduce our message today, God's amazing grace. It'll probably be a couple parts to this message. The one thing is I was looking over this text this week and trying to understand it and really praying about uh, how to uh, take it apart and present it. The one thing I, I began to uh, realize is that our faith in Christ is something that's unique to our system of belief. Uh, Christianity is not like the rest of the world and their uh, beliefs as far as their gods are concerned. Most of the world's religions, if you study them at all, you're, you're going to find out that there's a, there's a vast difference between the personal God that, that we serve and who saved us and the false God and gods that so many other people follow. I put a little chart there in your outline, the difference between world religion, which is false, and Christianity, which is true. And the first thing that you see there is that world religion is based on fear. If you know anything about any religion at all other than Christianity, it's, it's based on fear. Um, their deity is angry at them. It's hostile toward them. And somehow they have to appease their God. Their God is a vengeful God. He's very impersonal. They wouldn't say that you could know their God. What you do about that situation is really up to you, and that's the solution. That's the only solution they have. And it's really a system that's based on works. It's based on merit. That's very common in our society today. You, you go to school, you go to school, you study hard, you get grades. Your, graced are, your grades are based on merit. When you go to college, that whole agenda is based on merit. When you get out and you get a job, your promotions and everything, they're based on merit. They don't just give them out for free. So we're, we're in this world that surrounds us with this, we have to do, we have to do, we have to do. And so it's just ingrained in us that somehow, when it comes to our relationship with God, we carry that right over and we say, okay, God is angry at me, now I've got to do something to appease him. We understand that the sinners violated his God, and somehow he has to make his God feel unviolated. So in our humanness, we want to do more. 
We want to try to pray more. We read the Bible more. We go to church more. We be nice to people more. We help more people. Thinking all those time, all the time we're doing that, somehow God is looking down saying, oh, boy, the more you do, the more I'm going to love you. That's the merit system. That's not what the Bible teaches about our God. Our God doesn't operate that way. Uh, when you look at the false religions of the world, they're basically, you can split them up into those who follow some ceremony and those who follow some legal moral code. So they attempt to appease their God through those different venues. And that's really the heart of any false religion. Satan is the author of these religions. It's not men. Uh, the Apostle Paul calls these false religions the doctrines of demons. Talks about seducing spirits through these human spokesmen that represent various world religions that are false. But it's very much based on fear. And these religions come out of the pit of hell itself. Satan himself is behind these various religions. So when anybody you know is involved in a man-made religion, that false religion, you might think, well, that's just kind of an innocent thing, but it's really not. It's Satan-inspired. And basically, there's a lot of things that are absent from these religions that we see in ours, in Christianity, in followers of Christ, in the God of the Bible, the true gospel. We know that Christianity is based on love. It's based on a God who is not angry or hostile, but a God who is loving and compassionate a God who is graceful, who we can know personally, the Bible says. And it's not what we do that's the solution to our dilemma with God because of our sin. It's what was done on Calvary for us. That's what we put our faith and trust in. We don't trust in what we do. It's not based on human merit. It's based on what? It's based on God's provision. It's based on grace. When we look at our text today, the one thing that's going to stand out to you is that our God is a God who saves. Our God is our Savior. The Bible says that our God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Bible even says that our God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge and blessedness of the truth. So that they're delivered from the, the wages of sin. I mean, I can't think of any other verse. John 3.16 kind of sums it up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our God is a savior. He wants to be known as a savior. God saw the world in sin. And that sin was directed against him. It offended him. It blasphemed blasphemed his name. It dishonored him. It violated everything that he was. It broke the standard that he laid down for us. And yet he loved us so much that he sought not just to destroy us, but he made provision for us. See, the, the simple message of our faith, beloved, is that Christianity is based on a God who saves men from sin. That's our message. That should be the message of the church God saves sinners. 1 Timothy 2.3 says, God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Even Isaiah 43.11 says, And there is no Savior besides me. That's God speaking. See, God 
likes to speak of himself as a saving God. And I think the most important thing for us to grasp is that he is a God who saves, and that's part of his character. That's who he is. And we reap the benefits of his goodness and his grace. Even in Micah chapter 7, I think it's verse 18, it says, Who is, God, who is a God like thee? Who pardons iniquity? Who is a saving God like thee? When you stop and you think of the glory of God, there's nothing in the entire world that depicts his glory to the highest level like salvation does. Salvation is God's glorious work on display. His saving work puts him on display, puts his power, his justice, his mercy, his grace on display because God is a God who desires to save sinners. He desires to save and transform sinners so that they will end up doing good works and those good works will demonstrate to other sinners the evidence of his grace, of his power, of his mercy so that they could be drawn to the same God for salvation. See, that's the message of the church, that God is a Savior and that he demonstrates his saving power through those he has saved. I mean, that's why he didn't just pop us out of here when we were saved. I mean, to me, that would be a lot easier. You know, you get saved and boom, you're in heaven. You're gone. You don't have to stay down here in the sin-stayed world. No, he left us here. Why did he leave us here? Just to cause us some misery? No. That's not the God we serve. The reason he left us here was so that we might be a demonstration of his grace, of his mercy. And so it's very important for us who are here and who name the name of Christ to live godly lives in order that we demonstrate God's saving power. God desires to display his glory by saving sinners from their sin. Now last week we looked at the first part of chapter 2 in Titus. And basically Titus ran through a whole group of people, different age groups, different genders. Older men, younger women, older women, Younger men, even slaves or servants. And he basically called all of them to live godly lives in spite of your circumstances. He called them to holy living, righteous behavior. And it tells us why in verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You know, when it comes around Christmas time, you know, you decorate your home and you adorn your house. You decorate your house. You know, that's, that's kind of what the idea is here. That we're putting God's saving power on display when we live lives of righteousness and holiness before a lost and sinful dying world. The Bible tells us that we should let our light shine before men so that they may see what? Our good works. So they can glorify us? No. So that they can conclude that God is a saving God and will give Him glory for His saving power. So all those commands that we looked at last week in verses 1 through 10 of Titus 2 are built on the, the doctrinal truth of verses 11 through 15. He wants us to live righteous life, lives so that we can put the Savior on display, so that we can display His saving power through our holy conduct. That's what we're called to do as believers. That's why it's so important that your, your talk matches your life or your life matches your talk. We have too many Christians going around saying they're Christians and living 
anything but the Christian life. And so the whole church suffers as a result. Oh, those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, I had a Christian once live next to me. And people go on and on and on and berate Christianity because of, of some poor soul that's out there living a life that's not in accord with what Christ calls us to live. See, if people can't see that we've been saved from our sin, beloved, then God isn't really glorified in our lives. That's key. Well, as you look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 15, this is probably one of the most fascinating texts in Scripture. It's really kind of just zeroes right in on what we believe as Christians. So follow along in your Bibles as I read our text for this morning. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You see here in verse 11 that the grace of God appeared to demonstrate salvation. Then when you jump down to verse 14... It tells us that the whole purpose of us living here on earth is to demonstrate the saving power of God. That we are zealous for good works. That people will see that and declare that our God is a God who saves. I mean, the whole purpose of God's grace, beloved, is to produce a regenerated people who will then be testifying and witnesses of God's saving power. Well, let's look at some definitions. A lot of times people get grace and mercy mixed up. God's grace, classic definition, is God's, it's God's unmerited favor. Notice unmerited favor. We talked about the world we live in and how we're based on the merit system. Well, God doesn't run his show that way. He runs it by an unmerited favor. That's God's grace. God giving you something, blessing you in some way, even though you don't deserve it. That's God's grace. What's God's mercy? God's mercy is his withheld justice. See, grace is God giving us something we don't deserve. Mercy is withholding something that we do deserve. As a parent, if you take your children out to a restaurant and they're naughty during their meal and throwing food and just being bad, one of the things, optional things you can do is, you want some ice cream? Do you want some dessert? You better clean up your act, right? Play that card all the time. Well, Giving them grace would be, you know what, in spite of your actions, you don't deserve this dessert, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. I'm going to show you grace. Mercy would be, you know what, if you don't clean up your act and start acting properly, when you get home, you're going to get a spanking. That's what's going to happen. But when you get home, you withhold that spanking. For whatever reason. That's mercy. Even though the child deserved it. That's mercy. See grace means that God showed us favor. He showered his blessing down upon us. Even though we didn't deserve it. 
Actually, we deserve just the opposite. We deserve his what? His wrath. We deserve his judgment, the Bible says. But instead of showing us his wrath and his judgment, he withheld that, but he gave us his favor. Now, today we live in a society, even within the church, that really pollutes these definitions on both sides. On one side, grace runs really counterintuitive to the way the world works. It's, it's hard to understand. Why would God give me something I don't deserve? Why would God give me something that I haven't worked for? We don't understand that kind of thing. I mean, even when people try to give you something, what do you do? <laughs> What's the catch here? You know, there's no free lunch, right? Come on. Really, what, what do you want? You want something. You're not just giving me this for free. We have a hard time accepting that. But that's exactly what God did. But the problem is, it runs counterintuitive to our way of thinking. And it's hard to grab a hold of that. And so the world, as it works through the merit system... If you do well in sports, you, you know, you, you play in the, in the game and you, you get lots of applause and all that stuff. If you don't do well, you sit on the bench. Nobody knows who you are. And it goes right through to our, our careers and everything else. Exceptional performance earns promotions and raises. That's just what's ingrained in us. And it's true, right? It's not something that's false. It's true. It's just that God doesn't operate by that same standard. If you work and do shoddy work and are sloppy and just don't care about your job, you know what? You'll probably get fired. See, in the spiritual realm, all of the world's religions accept biblical Christianity. And I say biblical Christianity because there's a lot of Christianity that's not biblical, unfortunately. Most of the world's religions work on the merit system. It's what you do. I mean, even in the branches of, of Christianity that I grew up in, the Roman Catholic Church and in the Orthodox Church, they teach a merit-based salvation. In other words, what they believe is that you have to add works to what Christ did on the cross in order to go to heaven. Most people today in Christianity believe that believers who die go to, not heaven, but they go to a place called purgatory. And what they do in purgatory is it's kind of in between heaven and hell. And they just kind of hang around there for a while and suffer a while. And eventually, if you have enough people giving the church enough money and lighting enough candles and doing all these things up here for you, eventually your sins will be purged away and you'll earn your way so that you can be promoted to heaven. That's the merit system. That's a, a salvation that really is ingrained in a lot of people today. Ask anyone on the street. How do you think a person gets to heaven? Most people say, well, you know, I think you've got to be a good person. You've got to help people. You've got to do this. And eventually, maybe that'll work out. That's what their answer is. That's how the, the Pharisees believed. The legalistic religion in the time of Jesus and Paul. You know, you've got to do certain things. And somehow you earn God's, you merit God's favor. That's why in our church, what we have is we have ordinances. We have two ordinances. We have the Lord's Supper, Communion. And we have baptism. Two ordinances. Well, what is an ordinance? An ordinance is something that represents something else. It's just there to remind us of something. When we celebrate the Lord's table together, what does it remind us of? It reminds us of the death of Christ. It reminds us of the suffering of Christ. It reminds us of the glorious resurrection of Christ. That all of our sins have been paid for on the cross. It takes us back to that cross. When you see someone baptized... The other ordinance, what is that? That's basically what Jesus told us to do. After you've 
follow me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to become a follower of me to set you apart, one of the things that, that I'm going to request you to do is to believe and be baptized. The Bible speaks of being baptized as a new believer. Well, why would you do that? Well, you follow in the steps of Christ. Christ himself was baptized. He laid down the example for us. And you see throughout the New Testament, when people came to Christ, when they put their faith in Christ, when they were born again, what did they do? They followed the Lord in believer's baptism. We're not talking about baptism of a little baby. A little baby doesn't know what's going on. No, in the New Testament, all the believers who were baptized were adult believers, people that could understand that they needed the, the saving work of Christ applied to their wretched heart in order to receive salvation. And once they did that, they said, yes, I'm one of your followers, Jesus, and I'm going to be baptized, and I'm going to be lowered down into the water, immersed, and then brought back up as a picture of what you did for me. Christ went up on the cross, he was buried, and he was raised again. But we call them ordinances. We don't call them sacraments. See, a sacrament in some churches says that, you know what, when you do these certain things, whether it's marriage or the priesthood or confirmation or communion or whatever, whatever else, I can't remember all the, the different sacraments that we went through. But when you go through a sacrament, what are you doing? You're earning God's favor. A sacrament is the way God dispenses, in, according to their beliefs, not the Bible, the, his grace. He dispenses his grace through these sacraments. So we don't have sacraments here. We don't have an altar up here. We have no need for an altar. The Bible says that when Jesus died, he died once for all. And on the cross himself, his own words, the words of our Lord and Savior, he said, it is what? Finished. We don't need to continue to be sacrificing Jesus every Sunday and holding up the host and falsely claiming that it becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus by some hocus pocus that the priest does. I don't mean to be crass with that, but that's exactly what's going on. And I think we need to understand what the Bible says, not what some world religion teaches us. So God's grace gets distorted on one side of it, as far as people not even listening to God's grace and just providing a merit system. But on the other side, those who understand grace, some people use the grace of God as a free pass, as a ticket. Do you ever go to Disneyland when you had the Remember back away, some of you are older, you had the e-tickets, you had all these coupons, and you had, oh, you know, which ride is this? Oh, this is an e It takes two e-tickets or whatever. And they had all these different numbers. They changed all that now. Now they just charge you an arm and a leg, literally, and, you know, let you do whatever you want in there because they realize it's going to take you hours to get through one ride anyway, so you're not going to abuse the system at all. But when it comes to the grace of God, some people view God's grace as a pass. Hey, I'm saved. You know, don't, don't tell me about my sinful lifestyle. I'm under the grace of God, brother. You need to get off this legalistic mumbo-jumbo and just, you know, relax in the armchairs of grace. I'm not into that, you know, rules and all the keeping this and doing that. And, and, and I'm under grace. That's what the New Testament teaches. I think you're living in the Old Testament. And for them, unfortunately, because they have a misunderstanding of God's grace, basically what God's grace equals is sloppy Christian living. They can do whatever they want, whenever they want, knowing that, oh, somehow God's grace just makes it all go away in the end. 
And when you point out to them certain things in their lives that may not be correct according to the word of God, and by the way, we are called to do that as brothers and sisters in Christ. Nobody is above that. We're to work together. You see something in my life, I expect you to come to me and say, look, this, is, this doesn't look right. Maybe you need to uh, uh, you know, make some adjustments here. Maybe you need to examine this. That's what we need to do, one for another. Because we all have areas of our lives that may we not even be aware that it's offensive in some way. None of us are above that. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.